0: Take your Bibles, please, and turn with me to the Scriptures to Ecclesiastes chapter 1. And we'll uh, begin in Ecclesiastes chapter 1 and look at reflect a number of passages of Scripture this morning as we bring together all that we've addressed in this holiday season, all that we've celebrated, and as we remind ourselves of the realities of why we're here, even today, gathered as God's people— to worship. You know, when we talk about corporate worship, I want to encourage you to offer your thanks to the many people who make Sunday worship possible here. Now, you might not know this, but we have people in the building from 6.30 right on up until this hour of worship. You see some of them up here, but there are so many people behind the scenes making that happen and making that work. There are people who are here preparing the building and getting it ready and it's been a long holiday season. I'm sure they're as weary as I am, but we're glad that you're here. But, but if you get a chance, thank them for all of the preparation that leads into our gathered worship on a Sunday morning. And we'll be addressing that both today and at the end of the month in the state of the church address and, and bring a lot of these uh, thoughts that, that uh, I will share with you this morning into a, a vision, if you would, for the new year. What is it that God has in store for us? And and what are the challenges that lie ahead? And I also caution you not to go about this new year uh, the way the world does. Isn't it interesting that uh, every time we get to this place in the calendar, there are so many people who decide that they're going to change their life. This year, I'm going to do things different. This is going to be a a new and a fresh year. I'm not going to fall into those same old habits, and I'm going to be the best version of me that I can be. What saddens me is that pastors pick up on that theme. The best person that you can be pales in comparison to the best person that Christ can make you through obedience. This isn't about me or you, it is about the glory of the King. and, And yet, there's this notion well, this, this year, it brings new opportunities. So, so, I resolve. What a collective waste of time sometimes these New Year's resolutions are. I wonder if we measure them, how long they might last, this notion that we're going to do better. If you're anything like me and have lived any years under this sun, days turn into weeks and weeks turn into months, and months turn into year after year after year. Not a lot changes, particularly for those who have the perspective of the Koheleth and Ecclesiastes, looking and measuring life, its goodness, its happiness, and its joy solely by things under the sun. And yet, as he writes this text of Ecclesiastes, he He reminds us of our brokenness and the hopelessness of life under the sun. Reminds us that we're wandering through this life. He he reminds us that we're destined without Christ to do the same thing and get the same results no matter what, what might happen. Throughout this text of Ecclesiastes we will be reminded that we live in a dark, dark world. The changes that have happened in the last decade are astounding. The changes that have happened in the last few years, astounding. We live in an age of oppression and uncertainty and brokenness and emptiness, and yet we commit that we're going to have our best life now, and again, the same old, same old. What a depressing notion. That the writer of Ecclesiastes offers us early in the book when our perspective is limited only to the day-to-day existence that we have under the sun. In Ecclesiastes 1 verse 9, what has been is what will be. And what has been done is what will be done. And there is nothing new under the sun. That's an important perspective. Under the sun in this life No matter what the changes we commit to, there is nothing new. He asked the question, is there a thing of which it is said, see, this is new? The response is clear. It's already been in the ages before us. And there's no remembrance of former things, and there will be no remembrance of later things yet to come, and among those who come after. Life is short And we pass through this life, and it comes and goes, and the calendar days go by, and the weeks go by, and the months go by, and the years go by, and we never really stop to think about the brevity of life and the shortness of whatever days we have left here under the sun. It is about today and tomorrow and resolutions and our best life now, but as the days continue to tick away, we are reminded of the darkness of life we 're reminded of the emptiness of this life for any sense of eternal fulfillment, and I pray that it turns our hearts and minds and attentions toward the real essence of life, eternity as we know it, and what are we doing to prepare today for for tomorrow? How can we break out of this rot of perspective what we 're only thinking about what happens in what we see and taste and feel and touch in this life looking beyond that to find some sense of hope. Throughout the text, we get glimmers of this from the writer who reminds us that today, count your blessings. Look at the good things that God has done for you. Don't ever forget that in each and every day there's the goodness of God to be celebrated. Today, is sufficient for itself. We can't worry about tomorrow. We can't control the things that they come. And throughout the text of Ecclesiastes, even in light of this earthly perspective, he says there's, there's room to break out of those perspectives, to move beyond the here and now, to, to look at something bigger and greater and something that far surpasses the best version of you. So as we reflect upon the brevity of life and whatever this new year might bring, there's some lessons that can be learned, and there's some thoughts that we can focus in on, and for many it's been a wearisome year, a burdensome year. I'm tired. And you begin to wonder, can I do this another year? Not under the sun I can't. Not under the sun. But surrounded by the sun and all of his glory, well, that, that changes everything. And that is the perspective that we share at the turn of the calendar year looking forward. As we begin to focus on a few of these things and introduce these concepts, I'll remind you of all of the things we've talked about in this month of December. We'll look forward to the state of the church and what some of these things might mean moving forward. But most importantly, Most importantly, there are some things that matter most, and it would be my prayer that you get a grasp on that in this coming year, the things that matter most. Father, I pray that you'd bless us and encourage us. We know that the things that we do today and tomorrow and the next day are important things. It's not like they're trivial and and don't matter Yet at the same time, we get caught in this temporal perspective thinking that whatever I accomplish and do today is the essence of life. Help us to look at the bigger picture. Help us to see the glorious notion of this mystery of godliness that Paul introduced to Timothy, challenged him in leadership to bring to pass in in that local church at Ephesus. Remind us of the message of the season that can grow so dull in the hearts of the hearers because it's not new and it's not fresh and maybe it's not exciting, but it's glorious. It is indeed glorious. Return to us the notion of the glorious truth of God in Jesus Christ. Remind us of the glorious opportunities that await us. Remind us an increasing, darkening world There is still glory for our King. Remind us to live, not under the sun in this temporal perspective, but a higher goal, a greater capacity to look beyond today, to see our glorious King, and to live for His glory in the brevity of life. Bless us as we spend some time together in Your Word, reminding of things that we've covered looking forward to things in the future. Give us hearts of worship, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, in this holiday Christmas season, we looked at a passage of Scripture found in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 through 16. each of the messages that we've given in this month of December has touched upon some aspect of this creed that is provided by Paul to Pastor Timothy. And as we reflect upon this and and God's call to him as a man of God and to, to us, I remind you of his words. I hope to come to you soon, but I'm writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God. He's preparing Timothy for a time in which Paul wouldn't be there as The encourager, the one who stood on the balcony cheering on this young protege, he's reminding them of the things that matter most in his absence, and when he would be absent from this body and be present with the Lord, he will speak of those things in his second letter to this young pastor, Timothy, but he's saying, "'I am writing to you to remind you how one ought to behave in the household of God.'" How the church ought to conduct itself, how the church ought to live, how the church ought to conduct their affairs under the sun in light of this eternal mystery of God and the glory of God, reminding them the importance of the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. Great indeed is this truth, he says, that we confess, this mystery of godliness. And he speaks of it in some creedal fashion, maybe an old hymn that was sung in the church. He was manifest in the flesh. He was vindicated by the Spirit. He was seen or ministered to by angels. He was proclaimed among the nations. He was believed on in the world, and He has taken up into glory. Paul writes to Timothy, and he says, that is the essence of local church ministry until we see the glory of the King in heaven. That is the Emphasis and, and, and the reality of serving that king until such day that we are all taken up in glory, and so shall we ever be with the Lord, and through these reminders, there are clues and hints for all of us as how to live our life soberly and righteous in this present age. He begins in this creed or ancient hymn by reminding us He was manifest in the flesh. We had spent the last month celebrating God in the flesh, Emmanuel, come. Listen to the words of John in his gospel as he describes this this manifestation in the flesh. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through him. And without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. The darkness, we will add, will not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen His glory, the glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. It is the message of the gospel. It is the reality that Jesus was manifest in the flesh. It was the reality that God had made Himself known to His people fulfilling a promise of years and years and years ago. As they sang this hymn and reminded themselves of this truth, as they prepared to live soberly and righteous in the present age, Paul is saying to them, don't forget these things. And this is where I would encourage you this morning. Say, I would spent some time even thinking about this over the last few weeks and, and even this week, Paul writes, I hope to come to you soon. I thought in my mind of Christ Himself. I hope to come for you soon. But until I come, here's some things that matter. Here's some things you need to focus on. Here's some things that are of utmost importance. These are things that prepare you as the household of God for that day that will come in the future. And here are some things that will prepare you to live in the present, the promises of God in the future as His people join together, gather together, worshiping together for the glory of God. When Jesus was manifest in the flesh, the glory of God was still upon Him, he was the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, the second person of the Godhead from eternity past, involved in all creation, sustaining the very world that he was born into. This same Jesus and child in the manger deserved all of the praise and honor and glory as the second person of the Trinity. And although that was veiled for a time in his earthly ministry, it is a glorious. Mysterious message of the godliness and, and and answer to prayer of God, and we confess that He was manifest in the flesh. We confess as the Church of the Living God. This church at First Baptist is no mere human institution. This church here at First Baptist has a divine mission and has a divine message, and we must figure out how we, how we play our role in faithfulness in this divine plan of God. And one of those ways is to exist as a pillar and a buttress of the truth. When all else fails, when everything rests on eternal truth, it ought to be the church that manifests that truth, that preaches that truth, that unashamedly holds to that truth. You know, I hear all the time, well, the world's changing, Pastor Jim. We need to contextualize the gospel. Well, here's some context He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and that good news changes everything. And you and I must live and operate and reign in this world as a body of believers representing a pillar and buttress of the truth, and that truth is contained in the Word of God. Our task is to lift up Christ, to hold up the truth, to exalt that truth in a pagan land. And preach every portion of the Word of God, His revelation to man. Sometimes I'm reminded that perspective has changed. With the privilege this past week of officiating in a funeral for a woman that I've known for some time, whose extended family attend this ministry. I was the same, Pastor Jim, that I always. I gave the gospel. I gave the hope that is found in Jesus Christ, this mystery of godliness. There was a retired pastor there who came up to me. As I read one of the texts in John chapter 14, he said, I was struck. You must be one of those fundamentalists. He introduced himself as a retired pastor, and then he started with, you must be one of those fundamentalists. And I thought, where is this going to go? What in the world? So not many people read John chapter 14, verse 6 anymore. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. I'm encouraged that you had the courage to do so. But I walked away a little bit encouraged and greatly discouraged thinking, what has happened? Well, how do, how do we exist in a church that that's not the message that we shout from the rooftop? There are multiple paths to God. There is one, and His name is Jesus, one mediator between God and men who rescues the souls of men. And if you are rescued today, you ought to be shouting that from the hilltop. And when someone says you're a fundamentalist, you respond, yes, I am. I believe it's all true to the glory of my King." We're living in dark ages and in a dark place, and we must be the foundation of which all else rests, and the mouthpiece for that foundation, the truth of the Word of God. We must preach it in season and out of season. We must never tire. Sometimes we grow weary, but we must never tire of the gospel that changes everything. That's our role. That's our purpose. That's the truth that we gladly proclaim. And it's a, it's a great truth indeed, he says, in the context. And we confess that truth of Christ alone and the glory of the King throughout all ages. And not only do we confess that truth beginning with the manifestation of Christ in the flesh, we remind people that this same Christ was vindicated by the Spirit, the glory of the King on the mountainside side. With the shepherds, ministering angels during the temptations of Christ, the glory and the privilege of proclaiming that Christ to all of the nations. And we should never be dis- surprised nor, nor discouraged away from preaching John fourteen six. there's only one way, and His name is Jesus. You know, as we reflect upon some of that and, and the Great Commission, sometimes that message gets trapped within the walls of the church, and although that message needs to be preached and reminded to God's people, we must take that glorious message and good news out to the people in the way the people that God brings across our path. We must be faithful in preaching that gospel and making disciples through Christ alone and baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. That's what he says, this, this preaching and teaching of the Word of God and the fullness of truth that brings about salvation for the glory of God. We must learn to rest and the promise, I am with you always, even unto the end of the age. Because I suspect that 2023 is not going to become more kind and open to the gospel, but more and more closed to the gospel. Just look at what's happening in our world. The things that ought to be plain to see to sight are, are, are mixed up and… and We're living in a dark age. Some people say, don't talk that way. God God is still glory. Listen, I'm not doubting the glory of God alone. I would never do that. The light of the gospel ought to shed some light on the darkness of the world and remind us that we can't change the message just because the world is growing darker. We must proclaim that message in the midst of darkness that God may bring people to salvation through Christ alone. There must be, in essence, in the context of our local church gathering, the centrality of the Word. It ought to be the thing that we do best. And again, there's a lot of other good things that we can do. We can send missionaries and we can come together and sing songs and 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 we can have programs and and we can minister to people in need and, and we can love the community and our neighbors. But what matters most is the centrality of the word and the message of the gospel to a lost and dying world. And that has to include that neither is there salvation in any other. But don't expect the world to embrace that. They will be offended at that. You are too exclusive. My truth tells me we must be quick to respond. Your truth is irrelevant. There is one truth, and that truth will set you free. Let me tell you about my Savior. And maybe sing this creed or song that Paul reminds Timothy of. This is what it's all about. He was manifest in the flesh and vindicated by the Spirit and and ministered to by angels and proclaimed among the nations. And the most glorious part, he has been believed on in the world. No matter how dark this world, God is still changing lives. And through the ministry of his Spirit, he's still rescuing the souls of men. And He will continue to do so even after the sound of the trumpet and we're in heaven with Him. He is going to be rescuing the souls of men. That is the message of the gospel, the glory of our King, the centrality of the Word. The Word matters. The writer of Hebrews tells us, for the Word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing the divine vision of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Have you found that to be true in the Word? It cuts, and sometimes it cuts deep, but it's for the glory of the King. It cuts, and sometimes it cuts deep to reflect the darkness that still tends to reside in us, setting light on the darkness of the world. Conviction of the Spirit through the Word of God makes us uncomfortable, and eventually it sets us free from the burdens and the besetting sins and the trials of of life. Through the Word of God, no creature is hidden from His sight. It penetrates the heart of all. That's why we read, faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word. You can't stop preaching the Word, for that is the avenue of faith that the Holy Spirit uses to show the truth and the glory of the gospel. And all of us are naked and exposed to the eyes of Him to whom we must give and account. That's why we must stay faithful to the centrality of the Word in every gathering. Our gatherings are not to make people comfortable are gathering together in whatever capacity, whatever day of the week, and whatever ministry is to make known the truth, to exist as a body, to manifest the reality that we are the pillar and buttress of truth. And that will create resistance on the outside, and that will create resistance on the inside but we will not apologize nor alter our course. We will preach the word. We will champion the supremacy of Christ. The church doesn't exist for your happiness. The church doesn't exist to meet your needs. The church isn't here to bend to your every whim. This is the church of the living God, the household of the King, and we exist for His glory alone. This is Christ's church, not yours, not mine. There is a name on the door, but there's a supremacy in our hearts. This is His church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Why would Timothy need to hear such a thing? Here's a young guy who would face persecution. Here's a young guy who would face criticism inside and outside. Here's a young guy prone to timidity and kind of backing away, trying to choose his words carefully that he's not offensive. The gospel is an offense to everyone who doesn't believe. It is offensive in its very nature, and we must not cower away. And why? Because of the supremacy. Christ, the supremacy of our King, the one who came in glory, and the one who this song reminds us of is taken up into glory, the one who exhibited the fullness of God, God in flesh, that John said we have seen ought to be alive at that day and be reminded that this man It's God in the flesh. What a glorious thought that is. Those days are gone. But the truth hasn't changed. And he must have the supremacy in everything that we say and do here at First Baptist Church in Johnson City. This creed, this song that that Paul draws Timothy's heart and mind back to to remind him of the very essence of what ministry and life under the sun is all about. Reminds us that the testimony of the saints, no matter how dark the world matters, and it matters greatly, but it's this testimony of the saints, one of its most simplest fashion. Testimony of the saints is found for us in John chapter 3, verse 16 and on. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that whosoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. That is the testimony of the saints. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through Him. For whoever believes in Him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And that is where the urgency for the testimony of the saints comes in. There are two kinds of people in this world, those who know Him and those who don't. And the ones that don't stand condemned. If we have any care and concern for the people around us who don't know To the testimony that we offer, the Word and the supremacy of Christ that we exhibit, in the clear direction of Scripture, we must make that message known. We must show people of the plausibility of the Christian faith, but even more so the credibility. And the credibility of the Christian faith will be seen often in how we live our lives. You see, when we talk about the testimony of the saints, and we'll get into this a little later in the month, there are a few things that come to mind. Number one, the testimony of the saints and faithfully gathering together in the local church and serving their King. COVID changed everything in our culture, and there are those who were among us who have now fallen away We must restore ourselves back to the centrality of the local church and the Word and the supremacy of our King and our testimony. We must gather together. We must faithfully serve. We together must grow in the grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. There is this notion in modern-day evangelicalism that the church is optional. If you are a child of the King, you have been placed into the body of Christ, and you have been called to gather together with the saints on a regular basis. we got to get back to that faithfulness and back to that truth. I have shared in funerals this last couple of months that modern evangelicalism lacks that faithful component to the local church and that must be restored by the way you know when it's restored when we get back to the centrality of the word and the supremacy of Christ and our responsibility to offer testimony as his saints the world ought to see us come up here on a regular basis to lift up our king to serve in this place to do what he's called us to do this testimony is seen in the gathering of the saints in a local assembly, but it's also seen this through the centrality of the Word. We can gather together and do nice things and miss the most important thing. And that's my fear in evangelicalism today. We do a lot, and we're busy in the work of the ministry but somehow the work of the ministry has distanced itself from the centrality of the Word of God. I have one calling in my life, preach the Word. The rest of this stuff, although important, my job is to preach the Word. I take that very seriously. That's my number one calling. But listen, as a believer, I think it's yours too. To take that to all nations, to proclaim it among the nations. And the only message worth proclaiming has been given to us by God through men who wrote through the guidance of the Holy Spirit. It is contained in the pages of the book every Christmas season. People come expecting something new and fresh. (laughs) There's nothing new under the heavens. We must return to the glory of the King. And the centrality of the word, and we must preach it in season and out of season. And sometimes when we do that, it will cut and cut deeply. Shared this in the past, I'll share it again. You think the preaching is hard on you? (laughs) Every time I dig into the scripture. The Holy Spirit uses the word to cut, to bring discernment, to show me the need for change, to remind me that I'm not home yet, and to call me to be faithful in preaching the word. The testimony the saints is seen in the gathering of the faithful ones, the centrality of the word, the supremacy of Christ. Bit players on a big stage. You've heard me say that before. We all are. I hate to break it to you. Solomon said it far more eloquently than I. Not many are going to remember you when you're gone. Let's give them something to remember in the centrality of the Word and the supremacy of Christ because that's what changes everything. If we reflect upon this truth Testimony of the saints not only seen in the gathering and faithfulness of His people to the local assembly, not only seen in that local assembly as being centered on the Word of God and proclaiming that Word, not only based on the supremacy of Christ so that everything that we say and do is for His glory alone, that testimony of the saints also includes some critical elements of the gospel. Perhaps in every new year what we need is a fresh look at the reality that we were once in the kingdom of darkness and because of Christ now we are citizens of the kingdom of eternal light and his son Jesus Christ. Don't ever take that for granted. There's a glorious gospel message and it is centered and Christ. So, what is our testimony? He must increase. And I must decrease. That is the testimony of the saints. The testimony is also seen in our lifestyle. How we how we live our lives. How we conduct ourselves when we gather together, and how we conduct ourselves when we leave the doors of this place. And I suspect if you're anything like me, and I suspect that you are, there's still work to be done in all of that. We get weary. We get cynical. Get a little pessimistic at times. We come all about gloom and doom instead of the glory of the King. Well, there might be room to wrestle with all of those things. Our testimony is rooted on the goodness of God and the life change that has happened. So somehow, how we live and how we speak and what we do and how we conduct ourselves in the world matters. But I also want to remind you that how we worship is a part of our testimony as well. Worship is not restricted to what we do here on a Sunday morning. Worship is not restricted to the songs that we sing on a Sunday morning. Worship is not restricted by the Word of God that goes out on a Sunday morning. Worship, true worship, is measured in our life by obedience. Jesus says in John chapter 14, if you love Me, keep my commandments. I don't know about you, I spend some time like the Apostle Paul looking in the mirror saying, oh, wretched man that I am. For as much as I've grown in the grace and the knowledge, I'm still a broken person, and there's room for growth. The reality is that growth must be seen in a testimony of obedience, even in the hard things. Even in the hard times, even when God is silent. If you joined us on our live stream for Christmas morning, we introduced you to a man named Simeon who was in the temple on the eighth day when Mary and Joseph brought Jesus in to be circumcised and offer an offering on his behalf. Simeon and this fleeting passage of scripture is introduced to us, and then he is out of the picture, so to speak. There's so much that happens in his life that, that I'll remind you of, and we touched upon on Christmas morning. Here's a man, Simeon, who's waiting for the consolation of Israel. God had been silent for 400 years. The promise of the Messiah was still unfulfilled, and yet Simeon never lost sight of the promise. He never gave up on the faithfulness of God. And time and time and time and time and time again in a repetitious fashion, he came into the house of God, into that temple, and offered his prayers, waiting for the promise of God to be fulfilled, even though for 400 years God had not spoken. Sometimes we live, and perhaps this coming year, we will experience these seasons of promise where we have to hold to the truth that we know to be true from the Word of God, even when everything else around us seems to indicate that it's never going to happen. Simeon never gave up on the promise. He's in the temple offering prayers on that day. The Spirit came upon him, revealed to him that this child was the fulfillment of the promise. Simeon transitioned from a season of promise into a season of hope, a confident expectation. He's here. He's finally here. God has kept His promise. He worships And says in the context of Luke chapter 2, Lord, you are now letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all people a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. From this man we learn… That in the context of, of life, there are seasons of promise where we cling to the promises with no fulfillment in, in sight. We begin to see that those who promise the best life now are deceivers. There's no best life now. The world is getting darker, but a better day is coming. So, we reflect upon that season of promise You will hear it often from me. A better day is coming because I believe every promise is true and I know that He's coming. Maybe this year. I don't know. It doesn't matter when. I know that He is. That's what you cling to in these seasons of of promise and these seasons of hope with a confident expectation. God lifts your heart, but sometimes the world gets the best of you you must cling to the promises when everything around you says it isn't so. But always, always our hearts ought to be rooted and grounded in worship. And what is worship after all? Worship is yielding every aspect and every portion of our life over to the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. True worship is acknowledging God in all of His power and glory. And everything that we do. And the highest form of praise and worship is obedience to Him, to His Word. So, we gather together faithfully. We preach the Word as central. We hold up the supremacy of Christ, and we worship. We worship a king shall reign forevermore. Do you believe that this morning? You know, when we reflect upon the truth of the Christmas season, as we reflect upon this hymn or creed of the Christian faith, the call of this young minister to the promises of God and the faithfulness of preaching the Word, we must remind ourselves that this King Jesus… And all of His glory will come for His own, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. The glory of our King must be championed and heralded in this life, even in the darkest times, because we cling to the promise, we hang on to hope, and we believe with all of our heart. So we worship. In the book of the Revelation, we're given a glimpse of what this worship might look like comes from John, was caught up into heaven and given a vision of the throne of God and the glory of God amongst His people. If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to Revelation chapter 4 and then Revelation chapter 5, and as we talk about or remind ourselves that He shall reign forevermore, it's one of these now but not yet kind of paradoxes of the Christian life. He shall indeed and is reigning forevermore. But there's a day in the future that all will see Him, and every knee shall bow and tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And then, so shall we ever be with Him. Here's how John describes it in chapter 4. And after this I looked, and behold, a door, standing open in heaven. And the first voice which I had heard speaking, "'To me like a trumpet said, come up here, "'and I will show you what must take place after this and at once. "'I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne stood in heaven, "'and one seated on the throne. "'And he who sat there had the appearance of jasper and carnelian, "'and around the throne was a rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald, "'and around the throne were twenty-four thrones, "'and seated on the thrones were twenty-four elders clothed in white garments.' golden crowns on their heads. And from the throne came flashes of lightnings and rumblings and peals of thunder. And before the throne were burning seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne, there was, as it were, a sea of glass like crystal. And around the throne, and on each side of the throne, are four living creatures, full of eyes in front and behind. The first living creature, like a lion and the second living creature like an ox, and the third living creature with the face of a man, and fourth living creature like an eagle in flight. The four living creatures, each of them with six wings and full of eyes all around and within, day and night, they never cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Whenever the living creature's who give glory and honor and thanks to Him, who is seated on the throne, who lives forever. The twenty-four elders fall down before Him, who is seated on the throne and worship Him, who lives forever and forever. And they cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Worthy are You, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For You created all things, and by Your will they existed and were Created. That is the creed to remind this young pastor Timothy and the people gathered in emphasis that this same Jesus who was born in a manger, this same Jesus who was crucified has risen again, and this same Jesus who they crucified was and always will be Lord and King, to the glory of God the Father. So all of our lives must reflect that in our worship. And our worship is something that we anticipate and look forward to. My prayer that in the midst of darkness that never grows old. That always is overwhelming, and that we at First Baptist can be faithful to our calling as Timothy was faithful to his calling, reminded by Paul. So if you're in the book of Revelation, if you will go into chapter 5, verse 11 through the end of the chapter, I would ask that if you have your Bibles open, that you read in unison this glorious text that reminds us of our King of kings and Lord of lords. Begin reading with me in verse 11. and on earth, and under the earth, and in the sea, and in all that is in them, saying, to him who sits on the throne, and to the Lamb be blessing, and honor, and glory, and might forever, and forever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped. May it be so at First Baptist Church. As we hold true to the Word, the supremacy, of Christ, the glory of our King, the worship as we gather together, and the promise that indeed this same Jesus will come in glory, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. How can you not be encouraged that He was taken up into glory? Father, thank You for this time. Thank You for Your goodness. Thank You for Your glory that although veiled in this present age, When revealed in Your Word sustains us, when revealed in Your Word keeps the first things first, when read and preached and taught shows us what the future looks like, when understood reminds us that the very essence of our life is all about our King, King Jesus, the child in the manger ascended into glory, soon coming for the saints. May we never tire of the message, and may you prepare us for whatever lies ahead to be faithful for the glory of our King, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.